Today's reading is from Proverbs 9, 1 through 6, and I'm reading from the Common English Bible. Wisdom built her house. She has carved out her seven pillars. She slaughtered her animals, mixed her wine, and set her table. She sends out her female servants. She issues an invitation from the top of the city heights. Whoever is naive, turn aside here, she says to those who lack sense. Come, eat my food and drink the wine I have mixed. Abandon your simplistic ways and live. Walk in the way of understanding. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen and amen. So uh, good to be with you. I'm going to actually stop sharing my screen here. And um, you can feel free to put yourself on speaker view or not. You can, I, well, you can't turn my camera off, but if you, you can just listen. Um, it's interesting to be kind of in new space, right? To begin to think about how, what it's like to be back in a space that we haven't been in in a long time. I haven't um, preached in an actual anything in person-ish um, in almost 18 months. And so you walk into a space and the drawback to what everything used to be is really strong. Like it's, where should I stand? Where should I go? What's good things are going to look like? All those kinds of things. And it's a reminder that um, no matter who we are, no matter how much we may uh, want to see things new and be, you know, uh, kind of be creative, that we all have spaces where we yearn for what has been. And I think part of uh, what our journey is forward as a church and as people is to hold on to those things that um, really do give us foundation and are meaningful and to, to name those things in a way that moves us into the future, but not so much that we grasp onto things that will hold us back, that we worship those things that maybe not are of God's spirit at this particular time in this particular place, but maybe used to be. So it's an interesting experience, kind of a visceral time to be back um, in the sanctuary. I know some of you were here for the memorial a few weeks ago um, and had similar experiences to be back in the space. And so I do notice that I'm not sitting at my desk, so I move around more now. So uh, if I'm if I make you dizzy, my apologies. I'm, I've always been told that pulpits seem to confine me. So apologies, I'm going to be zigzagging here. Um, let's begin with the word of prayer. Let's pray. God, for your spirit that is in this place and the spirit that has continued to join us, no matter where we sit, stand, recline, no matter where we are, no matter our view, whether it's on a screen or it's out into the ocean or just simply sitting at our tables, we ask, oh God, that you continue to, to prod and poke into our hearts, our minds, and our spirits as you would no matter where we sit and worship you. We thank you for the ways in which you have forced us into expansive views of your body. Continue to give us commitment to the health and the welfare and the common good of not only ourselves, but of everybody in the world as we continue to strive to share your gospel of love, peace, and justice. For this challenge and this honor and this privilege of faith that you've called us to as First Presbyterian Church of Palo Alto, we give you thanks. May that same spirit be with me and the, guide the words of my heart, the meditations of my heart and mind and soul, so that they may be acceptable to you. 
We pray all this in the name of Christ and God's people say, amen. So uh, those of you that have gotten to know kind of my um, patterns and styles for worship and things, I, I, I try and, and do my best to plan out kind of months at a time, at least to give other staff time to um, pick hymns and, you know, think about prayers just to kind of, so months at a time. Uh, sometimes I'm great at that. Other times I'm not. I mean, it just kind of uh, depends on what's going on. But um, because of the summer and vacations and everything, we planned out this whole summer um, pretty, pretty far in advance and uh, have even begun to plan out all the way through Advent, which begins at the end of uh, November. It's, you know, the, the days, you know, there's a joke, like, what is time during pandemic, but it does seem to move uh, fast and slow at the same time. Um, I picked this passage because I've never preached on it before. It's part of our lectionary. And for those of you that hear that word, it's, it's a commonly held three-year cycle that takes us through the Bible. It doesn't get through it all, but it gets on major themes. And so what I try to do is try not to preach my favorite, my favorite passages every time. But to choose ones that I'll, I'll kind of, you know, two months ago, I'll just breeze through it. I'm like, oh, that should be interesting when I get to it. And so I picked this one, well, because it's, it, it has imagery of the feminine in scripture that we don't often get to hear. You, you hear, we know uh, wisdom, Greek is Sophia. We hear about wisdom being this, the often referred to and understood as a feminine, but rarely do we get such bold language about the feminine image of this element of God, of the spirit. And so picked on my like, great. And then the first line is, and there's seven pillars. I'm like, sweet, that sermon will write itself because that's just seven things I got to think. So a couple weeks ago, started doing a little research. Well, what are the seven pillars? Feel free to put it in the chat if you know what those seven pillars are. No one knows. Not helpful. There are people that have made guesses. There are folks that have kind of things that we, we hope they are. There are all kinds of things out there. I did, you know, I, I know how to use the internet. Um, there's lots of stuff, but there's actually no one knows exactly what the seven pillars are, which is very unhelpful for writing a sermon because it's much more helpful when they just have, you know, here's your seven things and you just kind of pontificate and do them. So what we do know is about this passage, this, this crux of this passage are two things. One is at the beginning we understand this idea about pillars and this, this idea that your home, and it's, it's interesting that it's home, it's not house, it's just, I mean, it's, there's this, I'm mean, not house, it's not a, just a normal building, it's like this, this center of being together uh, is built on seven pillars, that it's, uh, the understanding is it's built on something. And it's juxtaposed with the very last line that begins to talk about kind of basically go out and live. Don't just don't buy into the simplicity of the world. Like you are now being asked to live with wisdom. You're being asked to live um, and thoughtfully and with complexity and all these. And so there's this there's this challenge for people and people of faith to know what we're built on and to not fall into easy you know, in using language of today, kind of binary ways of thinking, not into simplistic things that were challenged and almost the expectation is we can handle this kind of varying way of being people of faith, that we can handle this varying way of, of understanding that we're built on things and we're called to step into the world, into the complexity of the world, which I think is 
super uh, relevant right now for us in the world. We, you know, in, in, the, in, in my worst times, I know in your worst times, sometimes we get into these ideas that this is this way or no way. And there are some places where that's helpful. There's some parts where it's not, but we all get to. And, and I think none of us wants to think that the thing that we think is important actually may not be important or the thing that we're built on may need to shift or change. But sometimes that actually, that is, is one of the things that, you know, foundations give us so that we can continue to move. That if we believe in things and we understand ourselves to be a certain way, then we can actually move through the world and the complexities of the world a lot better. I, I know that um, for many of you, uh, and I know this is for me, um, you're stubborn. Now, we couch that sometimes as just being determined, but I think some of you and myself, you can be stubborn. Like there are certain things we do, uh, there's certain things you hear and you react. Like we're, we are all that, like we all have those things in our spirit. So to deny that is really kind of lying to ourselves, right? Because we all think in some ways how we move through the world and how we live is the ultimately the best way to do it. Because if, if you didn't think that, then you would do something differently. So it's not bad. It's just one of those things we have to figure out when does it become so calcified that it's not flexible. I told this story a long time ago uh, when I first got here, uh, you know, over two years ago about um, people in my world who have reminded me about that for me and about how I engage in this engagement around pillars and this engagement around what is important and all those kinds of things. Um, I mentioned a, a person in my ministry history um, who was named Lucille. I think I mentioned it like one of my first two or three sermons here. And Lucille is what you would know as a pillar of the church, right? Pillars of the church. Like you, if I were to ask you to type in the chat, please don't do this. But if I were to ask you, who are the pillars of the church, right? You would start typing who they are. Sometimes we love the pillars. Sometimes we, the pillars drive us crazy. I mean, you know, pillars are both what upholds the church and pillars are really hard to move. If I were to walk over to a pillar here in the church and tried to move it, like it wouldn't move, right? So you have the, and Lucille was that person for me at the first church that I ever pastored. I was 25, 26 years old, right out of seminary and came to this congregation called Covenant Presbyterian Church. At that time it was called something different. And we, we I served there and, and Lucille was one of those. And I, I, I've shared this, she told me uh, in an early meeting, she said, Bruce, I've been an elder longer than you've been alive. Just to kind of remind me of my place. Now, we all hope that we don't do that, but we all do that. Like we all want to kind of make sure folks know where in the ranking we like, and I do it, you all do it. It's kind of a natural kind of strange thing that we do just to kind of kind of figure out what the pecking order is for her things. And I'm like, oh, okay, whatever, that's fine, you know. And she takes me to the narthex and they had pictures of all of the old pastors who were there. And she walked me down through each of their pictures and then told me here, my picture would go next. I'm pretty sure my picture is still not up there, but they, you know, they showed me and she had a little story of each one. I think it was a subtle way to tell me that she knew the business of every pastor that was there. I mean, it was very interesting. Lucille, 
uh, was also our flower person. So some of you remember times and I don't, did we ever do this where you signed up for flowers and flowers would be delivered and they'd be all set. Some of you like that, you remember that, like there'd be, they're on the door, there's a flower chart and everybody signs up and the office, Lucille was that person who tracked that. She would call the person up, tell them how, you know, the flowers should be delivered and where they should go. And then Lucille would show up Sunday morning and set the flowers up. And Lucille was one of those that she got in in the morning and on Sunday and she would put the flowers. So like we have our communion table right here. There'd be a, on the carpet in front of the communion table, there was actually a ring that was so worn in. That's where she put the flowers every time. And, but yet she would still walk to the bank of the sanctuary and make sure that they were centered and all those things. And then she would come back and put water in it and all that kind of thing. Well, Monday morning after a particular Sunday, I get this knock on the office door. And uh, at that point, Inga was my assistant. Uh, and uh, Inga, you know, I think front office people in many ways, their primary job is to protect the pastor. And unless you're more scared of the person at the door, which I think is many of you probably, I'm sure. But uh, so uh, Inga, uh, here's this kind of aggressive knock. And she's like, who is it? And it's, it's Lucille. And Inga, being the person wise protector of me, lets Lucille right in because she's much more scared of Lucille than of me. And Lucille starts walking down this long hallway to my office with a big kind of, uh, if you have been in the office here at the church, it was uh, previous pastors had their office down the long hallway. And you could hear Lucille walking down the hallway. And you know, I'm scared of her at this point because she holds a lot of power in the church. And it, it was felt like a, a, a giant walking down the hallway, rumbling. Like that's, that's the image I had. And, and something bad was going to happen. And she knocks on my door. And I tell you the truth that I, for a split second, wanted to pretend I was not in. I, that crossed my mind. If I just stays quiet, Maybe she'll go away while she knew I was there. Bruce, you in there? And I'm like, yeah, come in. And, and at this point, I'm girding myself up. Like, what's going to happen? So I get behind my desk because, you know, if you put a piece of furniture in between you and remind the person whose space that is, then you there's like dynamics, right? So we're both standing across from this big old, old-fashioned wooden pastor desk. And Lucille says to me, Bruce, do you know what happened on Sunday? And now I have and will always mess things up on Sundays and I will preemptively apologize for offending people. So there could have been a lot of things that happened on a Sunday that somebody could be mad about. Like there, it wasn't as if I'm like, well, I'm sure there was nothing wrong, but I'm like, I, but I have no idea because the list could be long. And she says, you have no idea. And she does that thing where if she keeps repeating and just emphasizing a different word each time, then maybe it'll jar my memory, but I had no idea. And finally she says to me, she says, Bruce, the flowers were in the wrong place on Sunday. Now, keep in mind, now I have, I believe I have matured. I am no longer a young pastor. I know, I know many of you think I'm young. In, young is relative, but I am now in my fifties. I'm twice as old now than I was then. I believe that I would have a little more pastoral care than I did then. I believe that I, I might control my emotions a little bit better now than then, which is not always true. And before I could think about it, I said to her, I said, Lucille, I don't care. 
I love seeing people's faces on this screen. I mean, could you imagine you walk in and you tell your pastor this happened and the first reaction was, yeah, I don't care. Because clearly she did, right? I mean, clearly this was not like, it wasn't if she was like, oh, did you hear about that? And I could say, yeah, I don't really care about that that much. No, it was like, I came in here in particular to tell you something. I drove here, got dressed up. I'm in your office and you just told me you don't care. Well, we just went at it. We just went at it. Now, the seal Tobiasin was one of those people who, in a vacuum, if I tell you flowers are super important to the life of the church, I think intellectually, again, in a vacuum, we could all say that's probably not true. Like, there's like that's just, you know, they're great, but not important to the future of the church. Lucille Tobiasen, though, taught me something. Lucille taught me that no matter what we believe or what we think, that we hold great, there's things about the church and our faith that we hold dear. And when we start to mess with those things, it can be very painful. Lucille is a person who was part of this congregation for 50 years. She had been an elder, remember, longer than I had been alive at that point. She had been married there. She had buried friends. She had baptized her kids and her grandkids. Her friends were there. Her friends had come and died. Her friends, her community, this church gave her meaning. She and her husband, Marty, were greeters, and they were just engaged in the church. They loved the church, and every Sunday, Lucille would remember who had committed to bring flowers the next Sunday. She would take time during the week and call them and remind them about how this worked, and she would come back in that Sunday and make sure that the way that she engaged in this connection with God was in a way that met her needs and filled her. And she would set those flowers up in that front of that, that communion table. And then she would sit fourth pew on the right. I can, as I'm standing here, looking at the pews, I can almost envision Marty and Lucille sitting right there. And for 50 years, she engaged in, spiritual growth and formation through the lens of those flowers. And her pastor, this young whippersnapper who's just come out of seminary, told her in one fell swoop that the way that she engaged in church didn't matter, didn't care even. I hold that deeply with me, and Lucille kind of travels with me all the time, because I think it's important that as we move forward in the church, as we struggle with the things we are going to be and become as this congregation, me as a pastor, our journey together. It's not just about plans and strategy. It's not just about what we think will work in terms of survival or uh, growth. It's about creating space where we connect to God. It's about creating experience where we, no matter what lens we look through, we have a broad window into who God hopes us to be and become. And this church has been doing this for a very long time. And there are things that I would say are pillars of this church, not in a negative way that never move, but hold this church up. Because I couldn't find seven online or in any of my commentaries that anybody agree on, I just made up my own. 
seven pillars of First Presbyterian Church that I think hold this place up and move us forward. We're not voting on this. We're not, this isn't becoming anything like just, these are seven that I'm like, here's as I've been with you for, you know, uh, you know, uh, how long have I been here now? Over two years. If I had to guess what our seven pillars are, and you could put some in the chat as well. I would say these are these, these are the seven pillars of the church. Disrupting injustice is a pillar of this church. The fullness of human dignity is a pillar of this church. And I think in particular, as we think about LGBTQIA plus communities and people and our approach and openness, care for the soul, that we deeply care about one another. And I think every church would say we care about one another, but we care about one another. We, we sometimes cross the line into meddling and poking in when we shouldn't, but it's all about a deep care for each other's souls. Intellectual wisdom, this is a church that loves to learn. The restoration of creation. We are a church that can continually points out and names issues around climate change and the environment. The calling of Christ, that as we continue to do this other work that others may deem as too outside the Christian church or too political or whatever, that we are committed to an understanding of how Christ calls us into that work. And then the last one, and this is the way I describe when people ask me, tell me about the church you serve. I say we're traditional, but not fancy, which I actually think is very true. I, some people bristle when I say we're traditional, but you're just going to have to, we're a pretty traditional church, like in the scheme of things, um, but we're not fancy. Like we're not high church, right? So those would be seven. If you were to pin me down and say, what are the seven pillars of this congregation? So I'd be interested to see in the chat if you think those are right on, not off. I mean, are there other pillars? But along with pillars come things that hold us back. Remember, the end of that passage is, is an invitation and a challenge to be in the complexity, to be in the space that we're asked to live in the world and no longer get kind of drawn out and um, sucked away from those pillars. And I think part of this is also naming those places in our lives and in our world that kind of... I don't know how to even say it, right? What are those complexities that we would rather not deal with? And we, we lean into then, I think, simplistic views of the world and of the church. And so with our seven pillars, I want to give you seven places, complexities that I think we have to struggle with. That we have to avoid falling into binary, simplistic kind of spaces as we explore who we're going to be as a church. The complex relationships we have, I would say, are these. We have a complex relationship with money and wealth. We have to ask the question of this church and our communities, what is enough? We have a complex relationship with race and bias within our own systems here in this congregation and in the world, and where do we fit in all of that, we have a complex relationship with productivity and urgency. And what does it mean for us to 
be productive, but not in a way that is toxic to ourselves and the world. I think we have a very complex relationship with self-preservation and survival as a congregation. We have a complex relationship with the role of our legacy and the role of our laurels. And we have a complex relationship with our past and how our past holds us back from adventuring and risking into the future. And lastly, and I think this is the one that I want us to tackle a lot in the future, is we have a complex relationship with progressive church and progressive Christianity growing and thriving and impacting the world. I, I end with that last one because I know as people hear me talk about the future of this congregation, I talk a lot about growth. I talk a lot about this idea that we can impact the world even more than we have in the past. And I've had many conversations with people who have said to me, liberal churches don't grow. And I just don't think that's true. I think when we hold to the pillars of who we've been and what has given us strength, then we can not only grow, but we can impact the world. And growth isn't just about numbers. It's about influence. It's about how we engage this idea of justice, all those things that we hold dear. How does that make real in the world? And how do we not just hoard it to ourselves? So as we move forward, as we continue to think about what it means to be the church, as we continue to grasp onto this idea about wisdom, right? That wisdom is this idea that we hold on to some things. We hold on to these pillars, these things that make us who we are, but yet wisdom gives us the courage and the strength to grapple and wrestle with those other pieces that make life so complicated. That we take seriously this command and this proverb to, to pay attention to the pillars, build our home on those things that are important, and then live in the world amidst the complexity so that what I believe is then we have a much more textured and deep relationship with Christ and the world. And in that case, we then create experiences, not just worship, but small groups or engagements or personal pastoral care, whatever it is, we create this experience where people come to know God. Because it's not about the flowers. It's not about a style of music. It's not about whether we can put cameras on different things. It's not about the technology. It's about are we creating a place where God is known and acknowledged and we experience the holy together. That's what we're trying to create. And if we do that with intention, built on pillars of wisdom, who knows what this place can be and become. That's what I hope will get us excited beyond survival, but gets us compelled to go into the world excited about the faith. Let us pray. Holy and gracious God, for the spirit that draws us into this place, the spirit that continues to move us into places that we could have never imagined, for the spirit that challenges us to hold on to those things that give us meaning and that are of you, O oh God, and to let go of and wrestle with and struggle with those things that may cloud our vision, our hearts, our minds in a way that we will not experience you in the fullness of what you could be. 
Help us to be your people in the world, to rem remember those who have come before and to hold dear those who have yet to come. We thank you for that gift of community this and every day. We pray all this in the name of Christ and all God's people say, amen.